Well, good morning. Good morning, all of you who are brave to come out here in the snow today. Isn't it beautiful outside? We talk about having a chapel snowball fight afterwards, so maybe that'll be in the plan. So. But anyway, this is a good day. It is a good day because it's beautiful outside and is the day that God has made for us to enjoy. And so I hope you enjoy this, um, this chapel gathering. We're a chapel family. I hope you feel welcome here. Come, come sit up closer if you can. We, just, we really enjoy being together as a family. And so we always start by reading God's word first and foremost. We have to give deference to God. And so I'm going to read today from Job chapter 38. The last chapters of Job are just remarkable. They're humbling. They're good for us to hear regularly. So enjoy this portion of the word of God. From Job chapter 38, beginning in verse 4. The Lord answered Job and said this, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all of the sons of God shouted for joy? Job, who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb and I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Moving down to verse 16. Have you entered the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth. Declare if you know all this. In verse 22, so appropriate for today. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Lord, today we are thankful to, uh, to contemplate how small we are and how great you are in all creation. As we watch the snow today, help us... Uh, Think of where the snow comes from and where weather was designed and how this beautiful earth was put into place. So we know it comes from you, Lord, and thank you for these humbling words again from the book of Job. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with me and let's, uh, let's sing our first hymn together. Hymn number 11, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Please be seated. We'll have some announcements for us today, just that I would like you to just pay attention to. Of course, there's so many bulletins, but I'm just going to mention three. Hey, for those of you who are living on Kelly Barracks, there's a prayer breakfast coming up, 2nd of February. It's not this Thursday, but the next Thursday away from now. And I think the heart of this, um, of our garrison chapel is to be able to, 
you know, unite this community. And we know we have people on Kelly, people on Robinson, people on Panzer and Patch. And it's just difficult here in Stuttgart. That's the, that's the theme of this place. So we're kind of stretching out, doing something we haven't done before. And there's a, a gathering of prayer happening on Kelly Barracks. So come if you can. It's 8 o'clock in the morning, the 2nd of February. And it's ironic. We're actually remembering a very important day. And at least in the, the chaplain court history, there was a, a, a four chaplains who sunk together with the crew members of their ship on the Dorchester on the 3rd of February, 80 years ago. So we have a really good guest speaker. His name is Bill Stegg. You might know him. He's a civilian that works here on Patch. Wonderful man. He's speaking about service. He's speaking about a tribute to service. And we're talking about he's a Christian and he's a wonderful man. So please come if you can. Um, you can RSVP. We need you RSVP by clicking on that little uh, QR code. It, it, link, it sends us to a link, and it lets you know how many you expect for breakfast. So it's a breakfast event. It's for families. It's for servicemen. So it's for families, too, for everyone. So please come if you can. There's also a little, uh, uh, little thing insert in your bulletin, too. Second announcement. Today is a day when churches all around the world are remembering the sanctity of life. We remember, of course, life in the womb. We remember that life also happens when we're elders as well, too. There is a movement in the days to discount the sanctity of life when we're old as well. Euthanasia. So it's good for us to celebrate life at all parts of human existence from the very moment of conception. And so today we remember we, gr- we, we grieve with those who have had early miscarriages, the death of an untimely parent, someone who has maybe an elderly person has been cast aside today. So today we pray and we remember the holiness of life that God has given to us. We celebrate that in the Christian church. So a lot of people are doing that around the world. There's marches of life for the unborn, of course, and it's still happening in D.C., happening in communities all around the world. So just today, remember that thought and keep that as we pray today, later on today. One more moment, um, bulletin moment uh, announcement to you. I just want you to remember this really nice effort that Kate and Maddie are doing. Um, there, we are collecting the artwork, your artwork, as we link it to this theme of, here it is again, at least if I can say it, I appear, the excellence of Jesus. And so, art is a beautiful expression of who we are. It helps us grow closer to the Lord when we express it and we create it. It helps us think about it more deeply. So there are lots of artists. So use your medium of choice, paint, sculpture, charcoal, digital photography, banking, baking, sewing, whatever your medium of art expression can be, express it to the grandeur of who are excellence and the excellence of Jesus. So take your time for the next couple of months, but bring it in on Palm Sunday. We're going to display it in here. We're going to display it on Easter as well, and maybe for a couple of weeks afterward, just for a moment to enjoy. It's no contest, but it's a chance for you to express the excellence of who Jesus is. Okay? Keep it in mind. Okay. Stand with us, please, for our next song. And, and choir, come up with us. We're going to sing a song with, together, His Mercy is More. And please stand. Good morning. Our Old Testament reading today will be from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 10. That's page 514 in your Blue Pew Bibles. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 10. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. 
O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from east and west. I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Bring out the people who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. Gather the nations together. Assemble the peoples of the world. Which of their idols has ever foretold such things? Which can predict what will happen tomorrow? Where are the witnesses of such predictions? Who can verify that they spoke the truth? But you are my witnesses, O Israel says the Lord, you are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been, and there never will be. Our New Testament reading is from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 28, which is page 769 in your pew Bibles. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 28. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Here ends our reading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes when we have these scripture readings in chapel, we, we just hear them and we kind of go through them. It comes in our minds and maybe doesn't stick. But I, I want you to hear the significance of what you heard today. Thomas, as you know, a man who doubts, God, or doubts Jesus, if he's, if he's real, if he's resurrected, if he's really God or not. It's a beautiful passage to go back to when your faith doubts. And, you know, Thomas wants to touch Jesus and he says, I will not believe unless I see evidence. But he does. And his reply is, my Lord and my God. He sees Jesus just not as a man, too. He sees him as God. Seeing Jesus as God is a theme we'll hear about today in our sermon. But come back to Isaiah 43 with me, too, because these phrases are just so good to pass up. And sometimes you read the Old Testament patches and over and over, but we don't listen to them. And Some of the phrases you need to hear again from Isaiah 43 is, It is he who created you, and he called you 
Yes, you. He called you by name. He knows your name. He says, for I am the Lord, your God. You have a personal God that is that has called you and chosen you. In verse 4, he says, you are precious in my sight. Precious. It means you have weight, you have value, you have meaning. You as a person, fear not, for I am with you. Believe it, hear it again, that that beautiful four-letter word from the Bible, with. He is with you every moment, every, every deepest, darkest moment of life. Everyone who's called by my name, you were created for my glory. I formed you to be my witnesses. So don't rush over those passages we hear today. They're good. They have meaning. They have depth. And don't forget the snow. Purge me with hyssop. David says, I will make you whiter than snow. Your skins, your, your, your sin, your sin is like scarlet, but I've made you whiter than snow. As you walk out today, as you enjoy this breast, this beautiful day, look at the purity of that snow. It's because Jesus' blood has covered your sin. He's made you whiter than snow. That's how God sees you, not how you see yourself. God sees you as whiter than snow through our repentance, through our taking on this, this covering of Jesus' atonement for us. So... Believe it and celebrate it today when you're walking out in the snow. Good thought. Ushers, would you please come forward for a morning offering? Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, just as a reminder about um, the money that we collect, next, um, next Sunday, uh, we're going to have what we call a designated offering. And that is an offering we send to a, uh, an organization outside of Stuttgart that is um, doing great things. Next week, we're going to send our offering to Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family is an extremely just, man, just a 501c3, very reputable. It's been around for years and years and years, originally founded by Dr. James Dobson. They do so much for the world through radio broadcasts, through helping with ultrasound machines for, for confused young mothers. Um, they do a lot of the community just so active, helping single parents, helping marriages, helping singles. So next week is an offering for Focus on the Family. Hope you can participate. So today, as we, as we have our prayer time, I just want to say thanks to Kelly Porter, who I think the last couple of weeks has done such a fine job of collecting our prayers of a, from, from us as a family. He, he got voice from you, and he, he collected them. We prayed them together. I hope we continue to do that. I want us to be a chapel where we can just, you know, spontaneously talk about things that are important to us and share them with the family. That's important in a chapel. But today, because it's Sanctity of Life Sunday, I, I, I felt another way to pray today is by reading through a psalm and praying it together. I thought we would try that this morning. It's something that you can do through the week. You can take a psalm, a part of scripture, and just pray through it as you read it. And so today, it's so fitting that we might choose Psalm 139. Psalm 139, we're not going to read the whole, whole psalm because it's long, but, but it's, a, it's a psalm that really speaks about the specialness of human life and value, and it values it very personally. So today, I want you to pray with me while we read it, and I'll kind of guide you through it as a kind of a guided prayer. Um, but let's take a few moments, and you can just listen if you like, or you can read along if, you, if you're interested. 
Psalm 139 begins this way. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all of my ways. So Lord, today we begin by giving thanks to you, by giving praise to you, because you are the one who searches us. You, you know us. You know us deeply, not just superficially. So today as a humble little chapel family, we, we pray for out of, out, of, out of a spirit of praise to you for knowing us and searching us, for seeing us as how we ought to be seen. Verse 8 begins this way. If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's a place of death, there you are. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So God, again, this psalm, we, we pray out of thankfulness that you see us wherever we are, wherever we are in this world. We have, God, we have family members who today are, are, are college students and maybe they're back in the States. We have grown kids in the States and we, wherever we are geographically separated, you see us and you know us. I know a member of our, our family here, Jason Bruce, he's deployed, and we, we pray for him specifically today, geographically separated, but we're, wherever we are, God, you see us and you know us, and your hand, as the psalm says, is, is upon us and knows us. Continue in verse 10. You, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. So God, today we praise you for this beautiful process, this hidden process of conception, of birth, and then the maturity of our bodies. It's altogether spectacular for us to even think about how you bring life into being. So God, this intricate weaving of the womb, knitting us together like a, like a, like a person who knits a quilt, God, thank you for making our bodies so beautiful, so It's incredibly complex. So God, for that reason, that's why we're sad when we we see death happen prematurely, when life is lost at any age, before birth, young adulthood, even our elders, God, we grieve when life is taken away because it's a beautiful process for you. But God, we're reminded that in your word, that, that in your book are written every one of our days. You formed us perfectly, so... So God, those of us who are frustrated and, I don't know, just confused about our life, remind us today that our life matters. Our life has value to you, 
first and foremost. So, God, help us be good stewards of the days we have and the breath that we have. Even as we get older and our bodies are falling apart, not working as well as they were when they were young. God, we, we want to be good stewards of our, of, our, of our older age. And remind the younger generation how valuable their lives are to you. God, use our sermon today for your glory. Use, use our brother Chris Lepak. Thank you so much for his willingness to be here today. A flight back recently from the States, um, last couple days, and so we know he's probably tired, but thank you. He has the energy to come speak your word to us. Help us receive it well and be thankful for this chance to be able to, to, to hear from his experience and your spirit that is working through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brother, and thank you for the opportunity to be able to share from, from God's Word. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. I, uh, I lucked out in this uh, sermon series, I think, because today we, we continue on uh, the theme of the excellence of Jesus. And I cannot think of a way that Jesus is more excellent than the fact that Jesus is God. And that's what I get to preach on today. So let me say that again. Jesus is God. Now, our feeble human minds cannot comprehend this amazing theological truth that Jesus is God. It's difficult for us, which is why we put into the title of the sermon that Jesus is fully God. As if saying that Jesus is God isn't isn't, uh, clear enough. But we say that Jesus is fully God because many who identify as Christian have difficulty coming to terms with Jesus the Son and uh, God the Father both being God. In fact, being one God. And that's before we even talk about the Holy Spirit, right? And so... Some tend to minimize who Jesus is, that is, to make Jesus less excellent in order to make God more comprehensible to our feeble human minds. And so in their minds, maybe Jesus isn't really as powerful as the Father God or Maybe Jesus is is only a a, a part of God, uh, the the Son part, but not fully God. Maybe Jesus is God the Son like Thor is Odin's son. Maybe Jesus is not the creator of all things, but a creation himself, you know, A creation of the main God, the Father. In a 2020 survey, so pretty new, pretty recent, by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research, 30% of self-identified evangelical Christians said they do not believe Jesus is God. And I'm like... What? That's nearly a third 
of people who, who self-identify as not just Christian, but the Bible-carrying kind, right? Evangelical. They don't believe that Jesus is God. In the same survey, 65% agreed with this statement. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. What? 65%? We're, We're talking about most at that point in this survey think that Jesus is a creation of God. So here's the theological nugget that we can all bank on. It's an if-then statement. Actually, two if-then statements. If it was created, then it's not God. Okay? That is idolatry to worship anything or anyone who was created. Whether it is creation in heaven above on the earth beneath, or the waters below. That's Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, so pretty early on in the Bible. So if those Christians believe that Jesus was created, and they come and they worship Him every Sunday, they are committing what we call idolatry every Sunday to worship something they think is created. Here's the other if-then statement. If it was never created, but existed in eternity past, and will exist into eternity future, then it is God. I've had many people ask me, so God created everything, right? And I say, well, of course, yes, God created everything. And then they ask, well, then who created God? And I say, aha, Aha! <laughs> and really, that's the whole point, isn't it? That God was never created. That God is creator. That's, that's why he's God. That's what makes him God. He exists in infinity. Now, in order to understand just how excellent Jesus is, we need to first understand that there is only one God, period. One creator. No other. This, con- this truth is conveyed over and over and over again in Scripture, but perhaps not more clearly than in the book of Isaiah. And so let me read to you some of those verses. Some were read this morning. Isaiah 43.10 Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. So this verse should put to rest any concept that Jesus was created. As God says, before me there weren't any, after me there aren't any. Pretty clear. Isaiah 44.6 God says, I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Now, first and last here is a reference to infinity. Infinity past, the first. And the last, infinity future. God exists in eternity. 
Isaiah 44, 8. God is talking here and he says, Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. I find this verse pretty hilarious, actually. Because I imagine God up in there. And God has not, not only existed in eternity past and will exist into eternity future, He is also omnipresent, which means He exists everywhere, all at the same time. And so God is up there and says, I haven't seen another one. <laughs> I've been around a while, and I've been a lot of places, in fact, everywhere. I just haven't spotted another one yet. But if I find one, I'll let you know. God does not know of any other gods. Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Isaiah 45, 21. And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and Savior, there is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So here God also describes him as the only Savior because we learn in Scripture that only God can save Because only God can save us from our sin, and because He is the only God, therefore He is our only Savior. Point number one, there's one God, period. Point number two, Jesus is that one God. We read about it in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. Verse 10. He was in the world. And though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, believe it or not, it was less than a month ago that we celebrated Christmas. And the central truth behind the Christmas story that gives it power and meaning is that Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God. Yes, Jesus is both the Son of God and God Almighty at the same time. Jesus is both with God and is God at the same time. Impossible? Yes. Definitely. For humans. But not for God. Jesus was never created. He was incarnated, the Pre-existent, eternal, infinite God took on human flesh. That's incarnation, but he was not created. To read John knowing that, we can read it like this. In the beginning was Jesus. Not yet by that name, but that is who the word was. And Jesus was with God. 
And Jesus was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through Jesus all things were made. Without Jesus nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through Jesus, the world did not recognize Jesus. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen Jesus' glory, the glory of the one and only. Jesus, the one and only Even a light perusal of Scripture forces the reader to come to the conclusion that not only is there one God, period, he doesn't know of any others, but that Jesus is that one God. The Bible writers proclaimed the deity of Jesus. John says in verse 118, No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side. Therefore, in this verse, God, the one and only, is not a reference to the Father, although that would be true. The Father is God, the one and only. But here's specifically a reference to the Son, God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side. Jesus is God, the one and only. Jesus makes God knowable, To us, Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. See, the fullness, fully God. I want you to know I didn't make it up, okay? Uh, Colossians chapter 2, 9 says that in Christ Jesus is fully God. The fullness of the deity. God the one and only, but in flesh. And Isaiah says, and this is Old Testament, this is before Jesus was born, before they knew the name Jesus, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Even in the Old Testament, though they did not yet know him by the name Jesus, the child that Isaiah speaks of is called Mighty God. The Son is called Everlasting Father, a reference to his eternal existence. The Father and the Son are one. And as you heard read this morning, Thomas looked to Jesus and said, My Lord and my God. Not only did the Bible writers claim that Jesus is God Almighty, but Jesus himself revealed his deity. John chapter 10, verse 30 and 38, Jesus is speaking and he says, I and the Father are one. No one understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Revelation 1, 8 I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the same as saying first and last, right? I've existed in eternity past. I will exist into eternity future, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Early in the book of Revelation, the Lord God refers to himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the Infinite One. 
The one speaking here is described as having hair as white as snow and eyes like blazing fire, feet like bronze glowing in a furnace, and a voice like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he holds seven stars, and out of his mouth is a sharp double-edged sword. His face is shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. This is the one. This one speaks again near the end of Revelation, saying in Revelation twenty-two twelve, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I, Jesus. I, Jesus, am the one. With the sun, face shining like the sun in all its brilliance. Jesus is the Alpha. Jesus is the Omega. Jesus is the first. Jesus is the last, the beginning, and the end. And really, isn't this why they crucified Jesus? Because he claimed to be equal to God? John 5.18 says, For this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even, even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. See, the religious leaders in the time of Jesus fully understood what it meant for Jesus to claim to be God's son. It didn't mean that he was less than God. It meant that he was claiming equality with God. For them, it was blasphemy. And they would have been right if it had been any other human besides Jesus claiming to be God's son, claiming to be equal to God. But it's not blasphemy if it's true. As the Roman soldier who helped crucify Jesus finally acknowledged when the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, the earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the dead were raised to life, and the soldier said, surely this man was the Son of God. So there is only one God, period. Jesus is that one God, and the one God exists as Trinity. What is Trinity? Eric, it's going to require its own sermon series, I think. I'm not going to be able to cover it here uh, this morning. But let me briefly explain from Driscoll and Brashear's book called Doctrine. Trinity means that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, each fully and equally God in eternal relation with each other. And while the word Trinity does not appear in Scripture, the one who is three concept very clearly does, as you've seen today, with God the Son. The word Trinity is a shorthand way of explaining a great deal of biblical truth. Trinity speaks to the nature and to the being of God. God is love because God is Trinity. God is community in and of himself. God is perfect relationship in and of himself. 
The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. The Son glorifies the Father in all that He does. The Spirit serves both, accomplishing God's purposes. They love and serve one another as perfect community, perfect relationship, perfect marriage, perfect baptism. No, Trinity is not understandable mathematically any more than infinity can really be comprehended by the feeble human mind. Because the nature and being of God is so much bigger than our earthly understanding and comprehension allows. I don't know about you, but if I could fully understand God in that box, he's probably not God. God is so much more. He's Trinity. Let me show you something really cool in Genesis chapter 1. Something I think that maybe you have never seen before. Let me read it to you first. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so we see God and we see the Spirit. We see two of the Trinity. Now between the time when the Old Testament was written and finalized and the New Testament began, let's say when Jesus was born, there's about a 400-year period. And in that period, culture changed. And the Hebrew people began speaking Aramaic. In fact, when Jesus speaks in the New Testament, he speaks in Aramaic. We translate it from that. Well, in between those periods, as the people began to speak Aramaic, the Jewish rabbis, who uh, they also spoke Hebrew, but they knew Hebrew, but they wanted to translate the Old Testament Torah, the first five books of the Bible, into Aramaic. So about 200 years before Jesus was born, a translation of the Old Testament, now called Targum Neophyte, gives us an idea of how the ancient Jewish rabbis understood Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 2. What I want to do is I want to read to you their translation of Genesis 1-1, 200 years before Christ was born. Because the meaning for the Hebrew word for beginning can be synonymous with the Hebrew word for firstborn, their understanding and translation of Genesis 1-1 included both meanings. In the beginning... By the firstborn, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This was before Jesus was born. This is Hebrew Jewish rabbis making the translation. It's neat to know that the concept of Trinity Father, Son, and Spirit's work in creation may actually be contained in the very first two verses of the Bible. Now, armed with the knowledge that Jesus is himself fully God, it allows us to answer another theological question that I often get asked, and maybe you do too. Maybe it's one that you're asking now. And the question is, is Jesus the only way to God. Or to put it another way, is Jesus the only path?
to salvation. If we don't really understand who Jesus is, and we imagine that he is somehow less than fully God, he perhaps then becomes one of a handful or even many ways to get to God. You know, the main God, the the real God. And people ask this question because they do not understand the truth. The truth that Jesus is the main God. Jesus is the real God. Jesus is the one God. Jesus is God, the one and only. The question sounds silly when you put it that way. Is God the only way to God? Isn't that what we're asking? When we ask the question, is Jesus the only way to God? Is God the only way to God? Oh, yes. Of course. God is the only way to God. There is only one God and there is only one Savior. Knowing who Jesus is, why do we then imagine that we can reject Jesus and somehow still get to God? To reject Jesus is to reject God. No. You cannot reject God to come to God. And the good news is that we don't have to. We don't have to get to God. We don't have to come to God. The good news is that God has already come to us. We celebrated it not even four weeks ago. Matthew chapter 1 verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, God desires to be with us. That's the good news. Jesus created us to be with him so that he could be with us. But Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says that our iniquities have separated us from God, from Jesus. Our sins have hidden his face from us. But in Jesus, God brings us back to himself. At the cross, God buys us back. God purchases our redemption with his blood. Only he himself could do it. There is no other way. And so it leaves us with the question, will we, will you put your trust in Jesus, the one and only, fully God, our only Savior, to save us from our sins and bring us back to him? If you're confused about that, not sure about that, a little uncertain, I'm going to ask you to do one very simple thing. After our last song, come up to me or Eric or Ryan. Come up to any of the chaplains. And just just say, I need to know a little bit more. We'll be happy to take the scripture and show you today what it means 
and how to begin a relationship with Jesus, our God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, the Bible can be difficult to understand. I I get that. The truth is, so much of it is so easy to understand. It's like, how can we get it wrong? But we do. We fall short. We try and mesh truth with untruth so we can better comprehend it. But we thank you for the truth of who you are. We thank you for the truth of what you've done so that we might enter into a relationship with you that we might be restored. And dear Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would enable our hearts to trust in the Son that fully God might be present in this place speaking to us. Dear Lord, for uh, one who may not have begun their relationship with you, that your Spirit would convict them today and give them the courage to speak to one of the chaplains. For those of us who have been with you and we continually fall short, forgive us. May we continue to look to Jesus to know the way to walk, the way to go. And pray that we'd be an encouragement and strength to one another as we try and be your light and your love in a world that is dark and full of hate. May you shine through like the brilliant sun. In Jesus' name, amen.